This week, I'm joined by Christian Montano, who operates Montano Mastering out of Toronto, Ontario. He's worked with clients like Deer Rouge, Don River, New City, The Strombellas, The Royal Foundry, and the list goes on. And I'm really lucky to say that he's also done a bunch of mastering for my songs as well. Christian has spent a career in the music industry as a performer, a songwriter, and diving into the audio quality of songs and how to really bring the best soundscape out of them as possible. On this week's episode, I'm going to talk to Christian about how he turned his passion for music into a full-time gig, and we're going to look at how the mixing and mastering processes tie into one another, and the sort of tips that Christian has for people looking to master their own music, or why you should look to have your music mastered by a professional. Thanks for joining me this week, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. All right, man. Well, sick. I'm here with Christian. You may know him from his Montana mastering uh, business. When did you start that up, man? How many years ago? Um, so I have been mastering for almost a decade now, surprisingly. Um, I started the actual uh, Montana mastering business, I think, about four years ago. Um, and then started my own home builds about three. Um, yeah, three years ago. So, yeah, about four years of, of Montana mastering. And were you doing it at a at a studio before you brought it all into your like home space? Yeah. So I worked at uh, lacquer channel oh, originally. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. Which is obviously an unbelievable space. Um, and, and, and fantastic engineers working out of their fantastic gear, fantastic room. So I learned a whole bunch and was able to apply, uh, what I learned to my own, uh, my own creations and my own builds. That's yeah. That's, and then you, and then, so from there you just kind of decided to, was it always the plan to, to set this up at your home base and have everything kind of close to home? Not really. I mean, it wasn't even always the plan for mastering to completely take over. Um, because as, as I think, you know, Hunter, I was in quite a few bands before I, I ran my own band and mastering was always, um, it was always just kind of like a side gig, uh, a means to be able to play more music and, and do music. And, um, eventually the mastering started, I started getting more and more clients building like a, a real client base. Um, and the demand for the work, um, outpaced what I was able to book at, uh, at the other studios I was working at. And so it just kind of became obvious, well, you know, maybe I can split my time between there and a home studio. And, um, and in the end it just, at, you know, the demand, kind of dictated where I needed to go and it, and it dictated building my own studio and, and becoming, um, a full-time mastering engineer. Yeah. It's awesome. And I, I know, I don't know too many, uh, places that just, just focus solely on, on mastering. So did you, did you find you were like in the world of mixing as well for a little while, or did you just kind of right out the gate, just focus on the mastering? Um, pretty early on, I, I wanted to focus on mastering. I um, So I went to OIART, the Ontario Institute for Audio Recording Technology out in London, which is a, a one-year or like 11-month-long program. Um, and after graduating there, I moved down to San Francisco where my brother lived and was um, interning slash assistant engineering with some, some heavyweight dudes down there for half a year. Um, and that was where... I kind of got my first taste of mastering. I was doing everything down there. I was setting up sessions. I was engineering sessions and I was, um, witnessing both mixing and mastering sessions. And the mastering sessions had a really strong appeal to me, just the, the subtlety and the nuance of it and the quietness of the room. When everyone left, it was just, it was, it's very focused and dedicated work. Um, and, and very, uh, very integral. 
to the process. Very, and as I said before, very subtle and nuanced. So I knew I liked it. Um, and then when I moved back to Toronto, I was looking at various um, specific mastering suites that I could either intern at, assist at, or work out of. Um, and so the two main ones in Toronto are uh, Joe Carvalho and uh, Lacquer Channel. And Lacquer Channel got back, gave me a tour of the place, and immediately let me start working out of the room. And that's kind of just how it happened. I started mastering and started ex exclusively focusing on it. I hadn't really done much mixing, but you learn, I think, a lot about mixing from hearing yeah. so many mixes. I listened to like hundreds, <laughs> if not like a thousand or more mixes every year. So like I um, and knowing how they react to different processes, you kind of you see it from another lens. Right. Um, which is a very, very cool place to be. Well, I know that with some of the mixes that I've sent along with uh, Jordan, there's been a couple times where you'll have a, you'll say something that he maybe missed or that he's, you know, been so focused on it. He's like, oh yeah, maybe there's a little too much mid or whatever in, in that section. And, and you're able to kind of give a little tip and then the mixing goes back, adjust something, and then it's more like better presented to you to do your touches. So, And that's, and that right there, even before I've even touched it is mastering. And that's the benefit of mastering and having someone else. Yeah. Who has you know typically mastering engineers have a have a very well treated or or if not like as close to perfect room um, and just the the uh, the objectivity of it and being an outside ear being able to say like hey like I think you maybe got a little too close to this or maybe your speakers or room aren't giving you the clarity um, in this part of the mix but maybe you can bring this back a little bit or maybe you went a little touch hard here or I could use more of this frequency band to really fill out, um, fill out the mix. Uh, that all like mastering starts before it even runs through my desk, that communication process. That's what we're here for. And sometimes it's like, you nailed it. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, it's yeah. Well done. Here's, you know, here's your, here's your, um, Here's your mix back. It's it's flawless. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool too. But but that's the point of it, right? Yeah. Like that's we aren't supposed to necessarily even like make things better often. But it's like how can we make this um, play back on every system the way the mix is presented to me? Um, and instead of trying to beat something, you're just saying like, okay, well, we can match what you're going for here but it's going to sound the best on the most systems if we do these little moves here. Okay. So then you're also kind of compensating for as you're mastering saying, okay, you're going to listen to this on a laptop and in your car and on a phone speaker. That's headphones. the idea. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not actively thinking about that. You know, occasionally um, for certain things, I'll check like Sonos systems or, or like AirPods, you know, if I'm, if I'm unsure of something, it's, it's always good to uh, keep the consumer in mind because it's not like, it's not like the consumer is going to go home to their mastering suite and listen oh, yeah. <laughs> and say, this is good, but there's a little sibilance <laughs> here. You know, they're like, they're going to, they're going to listen on their laptops right. or on their phones or, or on their, their speakers that are hanging from the ceiling or not placed in a proper stereo position. That's, you know, yeah. Unless you're someone like Reggie Watts, who's got like a room just to go enjoy some music in, you know, <laughs> These yeah, absolutely. Speakers. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Reggie, I'm not mastering music for you. Yeah. No, I, yeah. <laughs> There'd be some notes, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I guess 
is that is that why you I know we were talking about this before we got recorded, but is that why you kind of invested so much into having what you call it an acoustician come out and uh yes. and and model the room? Like do you think you could have gotten close enough by baffling it yourself or something? But or do you think that's kind of essential to getting the best you can be in that space? I mean, I learned a I learned a lot doing a few of my own rooms over the years and even going back and forth forth with this acoustician. Um about it and you can certainly do a lot yourself but you need like you you're going to want to have a calibration mic and some software for interpreting the readings you get and you know i'd say you can't go in blind like you need to have some knowledge of acoustics um and and knowing like problem areas but if you're really really serious about mastering specifically you're going to want to spend the money to get an acoustician someone to come in and tell you exactly how to tune your room, exactly where to set up your speakers. Um, and he, that's like, it only goes more intense from there. Like it only gets more complicated in terms of like building a room inside a room from the ground up right. and like all your treatments inside the walls, as opposed to mine is, is on the walls, right, you know? Right. Um, so it's, it's truly an art form. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The, uh, the art of acoustics. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, really really cool man it's awesome i can only imagine what that what that process would have been like for the acoustician to to map it all out for you and get everything just perfect it's pretty cool yeah it's cool it's definitely a rabbit hole but like mastering is literally all about about rabbit holes yeah. so it's like you know it's like the gear from the gear to the acoustics to the the cables um i had a, a guy in the states sell me um like a console and a little input switcher console thing and um and we we're we we're chatting about cables and he was like man one time i spent five hundred dollars on a power cable um <laughs> for for a piece of gear and i ended up like i wanted to test it because i was like oh this I, I guess this sounds good um and so he did two recordings of it one with the five hundred dollar power cable we're talking about like an like an iec cable wow. like like no audio passes through it, but it powers you, your gear, wow. right? It's like, and I did one test with like a fifteen dollar IEC cable, <laughs> and they nulled out completely. <laughs> no, like you flipped the face. <laughs> so, like you know, there's there's um there are certain rabbit holes that are worth going down, and others that are uh, total waste of time. Hey, you got to investigate. You got to find out. You know, <laughs> yeah. <It's> not... <laughs> I mean, kudos to him for doing the test. Like... <laughs> now you know. Yeah. <laughs> where, do you, where do you find that you look for? Is it like YouTube or magazines or just word of mouth? Where do you find most of your kind of up to date information and new gear and, and new techniques and stuff? It's it's honestly mastering so tough because I feel like it's there's both this like mythology around it of like it being uh, the dark arts, um, <laughs> and <laughs> which is funny, and um, and like slightly people are slightly guarded. Like some of the secrets are are a little guarded. Right. Um, so I have um, actually literally right here, Mastering Audio by Bob Katz. Um, so Bob Katz is like a famous uh, mastering engineer um, who literally wrote the book on mastering. It's a cool book. There's a lot of techniques in there. Um, there's a podcast I listen to called The Attack and Release Show. Shout out Moses Mastering and Matt Garber. They're legends. Um, and the biggest thing, for me, it was probably chatting with guys like that and the community that is created um, uh, amongst young mastering engineers, uh, just going back and forth and sharing different tips 
sharing different techniques we've used, um, and just kind of learning about it that way. Uh, a couple forums on Facebook, and just researching anything and everything you can, and then trying it. Yeah. And I and I've been really lucky to have a lot, a couple very very busy years where I've had both the time and not time to to kind of like test things and and have really been able to learn on the fly. And it's true what they say about 10,000 hours. You know, the only way to learn something is to really immerse yourself in it um, and and learn the language. Mm-hmm. Uh, Absolutely, man. Well, it's yeah, it's, so. it's cool that you've kind of, you've, you've done this for so long that you're at a point now that you can actually, like how cool is it now that you can, you know, not that it's you want to turn projects away, but it's gotten to a point where it's like, I'm actually so busy with this that I can't do it all. Yeah, no, it's it's a cool place to be. It's um, you know, there's like a certain amount of FOMO that goes into telling someone you're you're like uh how far in advance you're booking or that you can't take on a project cuz sometimes I'm like, "Oh, like I really want to work with you, but, you know, my schedule's full." Um so it's it's a good place to be, but I I will always uh feel like I'm missing out by not booking every single project that I can. I think we met maybe in around Toronto or Guelph or something, when you were still playing with Sun K and, and we were playing with West Hammock and we were doing some, some shows together. I think that's when I first met you. And I know you're, you've been playing music along with mastering and all that for quite a while. And you've you know done session shows with other artists and all this stuff. But do you find that because of your performances that it influences a bit of your mastering too? Um, I, I've never found it personally, but I have been, I've been told that from a number of people. Um, that they can hear that quality in the masters I give back. Like it's a quality of not just quote unquote mastering something, but of finishing it and, and adding musicality to it in a way that, um, that I guess they haven't heard with previous mastering engineers they'd used. And, um, and that's obviously something that's incredibly flattering to hear. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't know if or how that, that does exist, but, um, but you know, I, I I think I understand music. I've been around music so long. I've been playing music for so long that that maybe um, you know maybe subversively it's uh, it does help in some of the little um, you know as I, I said before nuanced work. It maybe it helps in some of the nuances of of how you can interpret and thus deliver a product. Yeah, and there's been you've done like so many different styles of music. It's not like you only master, you know, alternative rock or something. You've got like the Strombellas, Deer Rouge, New City, and I think I saw yeah. Foundry on there and Don Rivers. So you've got like such a and tons of other artists up there as well. But you've got a, a really broad spectrum of kind of sounds and styles. So obviously, like the the approach to your mastering would have to change with, with maybe each artist or each genre, right? Yeah, I mean a little bit. I think. So one of the cool things about mastering is, um, you know, we all use the same techniques and we're all kind of striving for probably roughly the same type of balance. Um, and I, I talk about tonal balance and tonality a lot. And, and I think that's where our individual creativity really comes through and really shines. And it's, and that's often when I, when I'm dealing with revisions, it's, um, it's, uh, how I interpret the final product. And, uh, you know, I think just having listened to so much music in my lifetime, studying it in order to make music, to write music and whatnot, um, 
I think I'm made that perhaps I'm lucky or 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 whatever, but I, I have an understanding of where certain genres need to go. And even if the techniques are the same, um, you're applying a different tonal balance based on that genre, based on that song, based on where it needs to and even can go. Um, and that's something that you always have to have in mind. It's like, you know, this this track may have a whole lot of sub in it, but depending on if it's hip hop or indie rock, you know, that you leave in or take out a certain amount. So you really have to understand where people want to take it. And within that understanding, understand where you can take it and how much you can do to it. Yeah, it's almost, it would be hard to, um, almost like mixing where you, you can just keep picking away at it, keep picking away at it, change a little thing, add a little bit of this and, and always do that perpetually never ending with a mix. Do you find there's a point where you're mastering it, where you're like, you're sitting there and you're thinking, okay, this, this feels right. Let me try to send this over and see how they feel about it. And, or do you always feel like you could <laughs> mess around with the song forever? Uh, I try to have a time limit. Yeah. It's, it's definitely, it's definitely the first part. Like. I think that's one of the things that I actually like about um, <clears throat> mastering so much is that the work is so instinctual that it's, <clears throat> you know, I'm walking in and out of the room, I'm listening to the music, I'm hearing things, um, and I'm just trying to move on impulse and instinct. And if something is taking me longer than I'm used to, then usually I am chasing my tail trying to find a sound that isn't there or I've gotten too close to it and I need to take a break and because things should be quick with mastering. Um, like you shouldn't be doing so much work that you're spending four hours on a track. Um, um, and that's a pretty cool lane to live in of, of really just flowing through things and, and like vibing with a track, using your impulse to direct where it needs to go and knowing when to be like, okay, I need to step back. Um, and mastering is really one of those things where the more you do, the worse it gets. <laughs> like the more, it's, it's crazy. The more plugins you add, the more EQ you add, it's the less open it's going to be. Um, you know, the more conflicting all these moves are going to be in the end. So a master where you can, where you don't even have to EQ it really, you're just adding maybe some vibe with a transformer um, or a little bit of compression to tuck something back or, or some DSing in a part and then just some exciting limiting. Those things where there's, you know, the least amount of processing, they always yield the best masters. And that's, you'd say um, that's kind of like across genres as well. Across genres, absolutely. The less processing, the better. Hmm. Yeah. That's Which is why I, I work so hard with mixers to, you know, I, I have a whole checklist that I'll, I'll go through with mixers often of like, uh, how's your low mid to high mid balance? How's your low end to top line balance? How's your stereo width? Are you too wide? Is there any clipping or distortion going on that we need to fix? Because the the better um, a mix I receive, the less I have to do and the better product we're going to get back in return. Right. Okay. So I think I've been thinking of it more as like it's mixed and then it's mastered, but it's not really the case. It's really, a, it's really like, okay, here's the, here's the mix. And now it's in tandem with mastering. It's not, it's not, yes. here's the next process. And then you're isolated in doing that. You really communicate a lot with, with the mixing engineer on it. 
that's the way I do yeah. it. That's, that's definitely the way that I like to do it. And I think that's kind of, that's something that I've, I've definitely made. Um, uh, I've highlighted as something of importance in how I work. Um, it's definitely, we're definitely communicating about things. I don't just want to apply my stamp to it and, and send it back. Um, and some people like that. <clears throat> there are, there's some people that I work with that, that say, I just want you to put your interpretation on this and send it back. And we have an understanding of where their mixes need to go. And that's totally cool. Um, some people don't want that communication, but, uh, by and large, I am, I'm going back and forth with people and most things don't need tweaks, but just having that, that two way communication, the ability to do that, um, is so important in this day and age, especially in this day and age when people want everything right now, I could be working with a, a client, um, uh, even a mixer sending a master back and they're like, Oh, you know, and I, I don't really encourage <laughs> this too often. But they could be like, "Oh man, you know, I need to, I need to bump that vocal down by half dB. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring it back here. I'm gonna send that back to you within the hour." Um, and that type of workflow works a lot better if I'm not using analog gear, which occasionally I'll do. Um, but you know, having that communication in advance, I can say, "Oh, I think this vocal is gonna come up. Can you provide a vocal down?" Um, and just the ability to do that. And then it's in the studio and I can listen to it and be like, you know what? This vocal down through the mastering chain sounds a lot more like their regular vocal mix. So let's run that through, send it back. And there you have it. You know, nine times out of 10, that's the one that they want. Damn. Yeah, that's that's awesome, man. I mean, it, it's like you were saying earlier, just full, full immersion in something. It's crazy how mix, or mastering can be you know, right at the end of your mixing session, you're in the, you're in the DAW and then you put a little mastering plug in on it and then you're good to go sign it off. But then you have this whole other world of it where you're into it, where you have so much knowledge in just the world of mastering that it's like, it does take years with full immersion to really get a sense of, you know, molding it to your own personal touches and, and just hearing where it can go and just being like super objective and not, not you know, having one style of doing it all the time and just being kind of lazy saying, all right, there, I figured out how to master. That sounds good. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> it's so right? cool how much, you know, I could talk to you for, for much longer about it, man, but I know you got to get run in pretty soon. So I won't take up too much more of your time. We'll, we'll have to do a second part because I could honestly chat about mastering forever. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny, man. Like I don't even think I, I would not consider myself a mixing engineer at all, but it's that people mixing engineers who send you stuff maybe if, if there's somebody who's kind of doing thing something out of their own home studio they must to me it sounds like you'd learn a lot just by sending you a mix and, and hearing what you what you want to know and what you want to hear back not necessarily because of like sending things to other mastering engineers in the future just learning about audio stuff in general by sending you a track seems like that would happen to a lot of mixing absolutely, engineers absolutely yeah. and that's one of the beautiful things about about i think this having communication between the mixer and the mastering engineer is that not only do you both learn, but you both learn about each other um, and each other's techniques and which techniques work. I know certain techniques that I do that do not work on some people's mixes. Um, and I know that at this point, so I don't have to go through that process with them. They don't have to go through that process with someone else. We know, you know, in that sense, you know, uh, every, every mix is different from every mix engineer based on the production, the artist, the, the vibe um and whatnot but we we learn from having worked together uh, how to get 
how to get shit done, how to get the best sounding result in the end. And I think that growth and that connection is such a cool part of the of the communication process. I agree, man. Well, I've been working with you for a little while on stuff, and I, I love, I always love the masters you send back. So um, I appreciate you, man. It's been it's been great working with you as well. Oh man, that means a lot. I I absolutely love working on your music. Uh, you know, you and Jordan are, are the salt of the earth, and I think Jordan's one of those people who I also um, I also get mixes from, and it it goes down to the performance, right? It's really a, a ground up thing. But I think that last one we did, I was like, "Yeah, man, this sounds great." It's <laughs> like I, I have a small move at like three kilohertz <clears throat> that's like tucking something down a little bit and just kind of like softening this area, but like. Aside from that, sounds rad. Like I hope, I hope you like how your mix sounds because the master's gonna sound just like it. That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was trying to think of it. It's like a snowball where you kind of it gets super packed together, and you, you're the final like just the touches on there. You just make it that perfect sphere. It's just yep. <laughs> so that's, throwable. That, now. That's it. <laughs> right on, dude. All right, yeah, man. Well, I have to get you on here for uh, for part two. We'll, we'll make it happen one of these days soon. If you have a project that you've been working on that you need mastered, definitely reach out to Christian. He will do an awesome job with it. I promise you that. If you have any questions for the podcast or you want to reach out, you can do that at beforethetourpodcast at gmail.com. And I'll be back in a couple of weeks with a brand new guest. So I will talk to you then. Mm-hmm.